Hey, it's you, man, from KC95 here. Good evening, and welcome to Toasted Tavern. Your host, Scott Tobin, and the man called Wags are ready to bring you the night in sports. So pull up a stool, grab a drink, and let's get toasted. And welcome into the Toasted Tavern. And yes, it is a perfect night to have a drink and you know just sit back and talk sports because it's absolutely disgusting outside. The entire day has been disgusting. And unfortunately, you couldn't watch a Cardinals game uh, down in sunny Florida today because it wasn't on TV. And we'll, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But great night to talk sports. Lots of things going on in the world of sports. We talked last night about everything under the sun. And tonight we are going to be talking about everything else under the sun a lot of it locally because we're gonna have a special guest coming on here in just a little bit but until then scott how are you doing i know you had uh some cardinal interaction and uh we're gonna see uh maybe some stuff coming up here real shortly uh when it comes to the the cardinals uh yeah uh yeah i was down at the ballpark for a little bit today getting trying to get ready for opening day although our uniforms and our uh, name tags and stuff didn't come in yet so that'll be interesting hopefully we get those in time for Thursday, but uh, we don't need to talk about me, man. We, we need to talk about baseball. And we kept saying that uh, when Albert came back, it was going to make a difference and he was going to help this offense. Well, guess what? Albert comes back. He's betting clean up. We scored 29 runs today, man. 29. They didn't score 29 runs in like 94 years. Albert comes back 29 to eight. It's only spring training, but holy crap. Really? Uh, yeah, I saw, I think Katie Wu tweeted it out today that, uh, the conversation tomorrow morning is going to be the Albert quote Pujols offense is greater than the quote Jeff Albert offense. And I mean, it's one game, it's spring training, it's the Washington nationals. I mean, yeah, as Frosty says, it was 29 to eight today. Absolutely crazy. You had Albert coming up in his first at bat, uh, as, as a Cardinal in 10 years. Bases loaded, no outs. He grounds out, but he gets an RBI uh, driving in a run. And it's amazing. I mean, it, it is spring training. It's one game. All of that being said, the fact that it was his first game back and you got the offense rolling like that, uh, it just makes you giddy and excited for, for what's to come at, potentially this year in St. Louis. And, you know, we were talking a little bit last night about the, the limited number of at-bats that Albert's probably going to get, but... You know, I after watching today and, and actually listening to our, our guest upcoming, uh, uh, Brandon Kylie on BK and Ferrario today, you know, they were talking about the fact that he, he might see some right handed uh, pitching when it comes to soft tossing right handers. And that's something that the Cardinals have struggled with, as they mentioned as well, that uh, they struggle with over the past couple of years. So being able to put a guy like Albert into that lineup, even against a righty or a righty, if it's a soft tosser, you might see him in there and he could do some damage. Oh, absolutely. And that came, those words came right out of the mouth of the skipper today. Ali Marmold talked about that a lot. And the way he talked today, I think we are going to see Albert hit a lot more than anybody anticipated. You know, we all kind of thought, okay, he's going to hit against lefties and not so much righties, but kind of the way Ali talked today. And, you know, we'll talk to BK about this when he comes on too. um, It sounds like, you know, guys that throw aren't 98, 99 mile an hour smoke throwers. Those mid low to mid nineties guys, the soft tossers. The guys that give Cardinals fits, Kyle Hendricks, for an example, yeah. in Chicago, we may see Albert hit against those guys because he's still tearing those pitchers up. And so when you hear Ollie say that, you know, last night we talked about, man, it may be a stretch to see him get those 21 home runs or those 62 RBIs he, that he needs. But after hearing what Ollie had to say today, man, I think 
it's more and more realistic that Albert may get three or 400 in bats this year. And then all of a sudden those numbers really are in play and we really may see some history in St. Louis. That would be absolutely incredible. And you know, we talked about it last night and you know, you'll be there on opening day working the, uh, the stadium. I got my ticket. I'll be out in the bleachers on a uh, Thursday afternoon, a chilly Thursday afternoon projected right now, but to, to get the chance to see Albert Pujols coming around on the trucks, around the outfield. I'll be in the bleachers, which is is exactly where you want to be for those kind of moments, to see all of that and know that it's very likely his and Yachty's and maybe Wainwright's last home opener. They're all probably going to be a part of that parade and that celebration. Uh, and and just the fact that you know you might see more of him and you're going to have all that history that could come down this year. It just it, it makes you excited to be a Cardinals fan once again. And we talked a little bit about this last night about, you know, are they going to sacrifice winning for, for the, the feel good stories? I don't think that's going to be the case, but we are going to see a lot of the focus go towards, you know, hitting milestones and, and getting these guys out there to, you know, say their farewells to, you know, to the cities that they're going to and things like that. So it, it's going to be a real interesting balancing act for, for coach Marmel about, you know, how they go about balancing the farewell tour of three absolute Cardinal legends and still finding a way to go out there and win games and, and push toward a postseason berth. Yeah. I mean, like we've talked about, Albert's not going to play every day. You know, they're going to make that work so that he gets plenty of at bats, but they're not going to throw him out there to hit just to get him out there. You know, the goal of this team still is to try to win. And so while you're going to get Albert as many at bats as you can, you're not going to put him in those situations against a guy like Scherzer or DeGrom or one of those guys that are right. He's throwing high heat. Cause you know, as we've seen the last couple of years, Albert just can't catch up to that anymore. So he'll still get his at-bats, but you're not going to put him in those situations where he's not likely to succeed just to just to get that ovation. Oh, yeah. Not, not at all. All right. Well, without further ado, we're going to bring in our special guest. Yeah, you hear him every day on 101 ESPN. He is the voice of BK and Ferrario. I want to welcome in Brandon Kiley from 101 ESPN. Brandon, how are you doing tonight? And thanks for joining us. What's going on, boys? I'm doing great. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for the invite. It was short notice, so I, I appreciate you guys being able to oblige. How are you guys doing tonight? Oh, we're doing great. And, and great. as we said in our message, you know, we're, we're very flexible. So whenever we get an opportunity to talk to anybody in the, in the sports world, the broadcasting world, we're going to do our best. We're, we're up and coming. So we're, we're very flexible. We will take what we can get when we can get it. Hey, man, I respect anybody that's willing to grind. If you got a nine to five and you're doing this, man, doing this is enough. So I respect the hell out of it. It's good to uh, be here. 40 hours a week, full time college student and this I, I'm pretty much. But oh, wait, I also do a bunch of play by play as well. So, yeah, I don't think I sleep ever. <laughs> hey, man, we'll sleep when we die. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm, not, I'm not too far behind that either. Like three jobs in this, man. So, uh, yeah, Jeez, we keep going. Man. But this is what we love, you know. Hey, this is the fun stuff. This is what we do for, uh, for, for well, at least what I do for a living. And uh, I'm, I'm a kid in a candy store. It's great, man. Well, before we get into the sports stuff, I was listening to the show today. And I just have to say, I, I got to back you. Wally, Ratatouille, some of That's the best saying. movies out there. That's what I'm saying. I don't understand how there's so much hatred for Wally in particular. People said it's boring. I understand the first eight minutes of the movie, if you're watching and you're looking for some sort of dialogue, like that, that doesn't exist. It's not there for you. But after that, it's amazing. It's unbelievable. And if you don't like Ratatouille, like, I just don't know if we can get along. 100% agreed. I mean, I, I, 
when it came out, I was dating a girl that looked like the girl from the movie. So I think there might be a little <laughs> bit of connection there. But still, overall, a great movie. It's a movie about food. How can you not like a movie about right. food? And not only about food, but about how everybody can relate to food, right? Like even the food that you eat when you are on like the lowest of your lows can be a beautiful thing. So it's it's connective tissue for everybody. Everybody should be able to relate to that. 100% agree on that one. Uh, well, well, BK, so before we get going into the sports stuff, kind of give us a little bit about uh, your rise, essentially. You 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 went to Mizzou. You were part of the, the communications department there. You, you worked down there. Talk a little bit about what you went through in college to get to where you're at now and your experiences at Mizzou. Sure, yeah. So I'm originally from Kansas City. I apologize for that. I, nothing I could do. That's where my <laughs> parents grew up, so that's where I'm from. Uh, so I'm from Kansas City originally, went to Blue Springs High School. I know that's the next question here So in St. Louis. I went to Blue Springs, uh, played football there, wasn't a particularly good player, as anybody that went to the Home Run Derby can probably imagine. Uh, I was fine. And so I knew sports were something that I very much enjoyed playing, enjoyed being around, but it was not going to be my future. I was not going to be playing sports in college. I was not going to have any sort of future, like playing a pro career or anything like that. I didn't have any of those sort of fantasies growing up. So I knew, hey, I want to be around sports. I got to do it in a different way. I used to listen to a guy by the name of Nick Wright all the time when I was driving around in high school. And Nick was doing at the time the sports radio show in afternoons in Kansas City. It's like, hey, man, this is, I mean, it's relatable. It's fun. It's cool. It it's an, would be a hell of a job if you were able to do that. I didn't even know you could make a living doing this, though. What What is this job? I need to find out more about this. So I'm like a sophomore, junior in high school at the time. I start looking more into it and realize, hey, you need to go to J school to be able to do something like that, which by the way, kids, you don't have to, you do not have to go to J school to be in radio. Uh, you could do literally anything. And I actually recommend not going to journalism school to do what I do, but we can get into that later if you want to. Um, so I ended up looking at a bunch of different options of where I could go. A typical, stupid, dumb kid. I, I want to get as far away from home as possible, right? That's what we all want to do. So I'm like, Hey, you know, Florida's got a good school. Syracuse has this good school. I'll go look at those. And I, I went on a trip with my mom and visited both of those schools. I'm like, hey, this is where I want to go. And then I saw what the money was. Syracuse for one year was going to be like $50,000. I went and checked out Mizzou and they were like, hey, you can get this scholarship. And for three years, basically, it's going to be $50,000. It's like, Mizzou sounds great. I'm going to go there. So I ended up an hour and a half away from home. Mizzou was awesome. It's the greatest experience I could have ever asked for. Um, met some of my lifelong friends there, many of whom were just in my wedding from uh, this past year. So went to Mizzou, did the whole J school thing. And I've always been, I'm very one track mind. Like I, this is the only thing I've ever been good at in my life. And I say that loosely, I think I'm okay at it. Um, and so when I got there, I knew I wanted to do radio specifically. And I was one of like five kids at Mizzou that were specifically going the radio sequence. So they kind of like made it up as they went along as to what we were actually doing while we were there. The biggest thing for me was just they have a very good student run radio station at Mizzou. So I was able to my sophomore year host a daily radio show at 6 a.m., which I do not recommend for a college student. There were a lot of mornings that that was not a good thing for me. Um, but I was hosting 6 to 7 a.m. every day, Monday through Friday. And it was great. And it taught me a lot about like how to actually do a radio show. And then that summer, I went down to Houston and interned for Nick Wright down there while he was doing the morning show, learned a lot about how to like actually prepare for a radio show by going down there. He's like one of the hardest workers I've ever met. 
So that was kind of the beginnings of how I realized, okay, this is definitely what I want to do. Like, not just this would be a cool job. This is definitely what I want to do. And then I got a job at KTGR, which is the actual ESPN affiliate in Columbia. That became my first full-time gig when I graduated from college, came out here, worked at KTGR, or excuse me, at 101 ESPN with Kevin Wheeler for, I think, three or four years at that point. Moved out to 610 in Kansas City, thought it was going to be my lifelong dream. Found out my wife, now wife, uh, at the time girlfriend, just wasn't going to be a situation where we were going to be able to move to Kansas City. So came back here, got married, fell in love again, and now I'm hosting Midday. So it's been a journey, man. It's been a journey. Well, that's pretty much what life is all about, is that yeah. journey, figuring out the the way to go, how you're going to get there. there there's going to be twists and turns uh, all over the place. But you know, now you've found your spot here in St. Louis. You've got the midday slot. You know, we've talked about We've had Alex Ferrario on here a couple of times. I'm a Lindawood student right now, so I'm kind of feel like I'm following the Ferrario path. But <laughs> it, everything is kind of open. I mean, if you put yourself out there, you've got the opportunity to grow in a field that you really are passionate about and love. And you can tell on the radio every single day how much your your passion and your love for for what you're doing shows through. Yeah, man, this is all I've ever wanted to do. Like I I get to come on the air every day and talk about stuff that I care about, but it doesn't really matter, right? Like in the grand scheme of things, if Albert Pujols hits 20 home runs this year or 10 home runs this year, it impacts my day-to-day -day life, don't get me wrong, because I care about this stuff way too much. But it's not really impacting people's daily lives. Whereas there's a whole lot of other stuff going on, especially in today's day and age, that like really matters to people. And that's the kind of stuff that like if I was covering that on a day-to-day -day basis, I would go insane. I would go, I would be miserable. So this is what I really enjoy doing. And I can come up with stupid takes and nonsensical theories about what's going on in sports and it's it's a great line of work, man. I, I'm not out here digging ditches. There are people that actually work for a living, and I just hope that what we do helps them get through their nine to five a little bit easier. If we can do that, we've won that day. That's what we're here for, right? To make everybody else's uh, life a little bit more, a little bit easier. Let have let them have a little fun too through us, right? Exactly. Yeah. We're we're all we've all got stuff, right? Whether it's like in that moment you're dealing with something or the next week or the last week you were dealing with something we've we've all got crap that we're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis life's hard man so if we can bring a little bit of happiness a little bit of joy make people think a little bit that's that's what we're here for that's what our line of work at least in my opinion should be so let's talk sports now i mean that's what we're here to do <laughs> that's, what, that's what we wanted to, to do with with you as talk sports and we'll start with Mizzou. I mean, there's big news with the Cardinals. There's big news with the blues NFL, all that stuff is big, but you know, for you being a Mizzou grad growing up in the Kansas city area, Mizzou is, is a big piece of, you know, you growing up essentially. And lots of big stuff has been happening, especially to the basketball team. I mean, you had coach Gates on today just to talk a little bit about what his future plans are. You know, you see Brazil leaves for Arkansas today. I, I saw your tweet about uh, a couple minutes before we went on about how that's another piece that's going away. That's four guys that have entered the transfer portal and now one has officially gone away. And, you know, it kind of leads into this question that I've had for, for multiple people. And, you know, we see coaches that in the college level, they basically leave without repercussions. Student athletes now are kind of getting that chance with the transfer portal. Are, are we seeing that kind of helping or hurting programs and the student athletes in any way, shape, or form? 
Man, it's so interesting. Um, I mean, the answer is yes. Like, it's doing both. And it depends who you are and which program you follow as to whether or not you're happy with this. I think for some programs that were previously, like, mid-tier... I mean, Arkansas is one of those, right? Like, we can use them as an example. They're a pretty good college basketball program. Have been for quite a while. I think they have their NIL stuff at a really high level right now. And so they're able to offer one kid, I'm not specifically speaking of Trevon Brazil, but just in general, they're offer, they were able to offer one kid what Missouri has to offer in its NIL fund to all of the kids. And the gap between the haves and the have-nots is growing even wider. And that's something that I was fearful of whenever this first started. But I do think that these kids deserve it. Like, they had zero pieces of the pie previously and now they're getting theirs and they deserve it because they're the ones that are going out there and performing at a high level and so if this money is available and it can go towards the actual labor i'm always in favor of that you're never going to hear me say they shouldn't get it but it's the wild west out there right now there are zero cases of like hey should we maybe like rein this in a little bit? Is there a better way to go about this? Nobody seems to be asking those questions, at least nobody that matters and can actually make any sort of legislation. And then on top of that, you have that taking place at the same time that the NCAA granted everybody another free transfer for COVID. And at the same time that they granted everybody another free year of eligibility because of COVID. And also, by the way, they were already doing the transfer stuff prior to COVID. So you've got all of this that's coming together simultaneously, and nobody seems to know how to respond. Nobody seems to know how to legislate it. And I think we are eventually going to get to the place where we say, okay, we might have swung too far in the other direction. And now maybe there are some guardrails that we should put up. Maybe there should be one free transfer. And then when you graduate, which incentivizes graduation, you can get another one after that as a grad transfer. I think that's a good thing. I think it was good for college basketball when they first put that in. I think it can stay. But guys going freshman year at Mizzou, sophomore year at Arkansas, junior year at Kentucky, senior year at Illinois, and then they take a grad transfer year at K-State. It's like, is that good for them? Is it good for college basketball? I think the answer is no. It becomes this kind of microwave society that we've got. And I'm not trying to like have a bigger commentary, but <laughs> it becomes this thing where you don't actually, and this is me speaking selfishly. I'm going to say that as the front end. As a college basketball fan, part of what made, for example, the 2012 Mizzou basketball team so special to cover and so special to watch is you felt like you knew those guys. They had been there, most of them, for four years. And so you got to know them, you saw the ups and the downs, and when they finally got to reach that ultimate peak of winning the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City, it's like, man, I feel like I went through a lot with them to be on this ride to ultimately have this success. And when you have a one-year success story, which is what it's becoming now, almost like what it was for Kentucky early on in the one-and-done era, it just doesn't have that same feel. So that's the selfish feelings that I have, but the more just in general, what needs to change about it. I think there's just got to be some guardrails that are put up and eventually we'll get there. But right now there's nothing. And so every player every year becomes a free agent. And I'm not saying that willy nilly. It is literally free agency where they will put their name into the transfer portal. They will say, coaches, what is your NIL package that you have to offer me? I will go to the highest bidder. And that's what's happening right now. And it's I'm not saying it's a bad thing necessarily. Like inherently, that's not bad, but it just creates some issues that 
I don't think any of us saw coming necessarily. And I'm kind of right there with you. I'm one of those people that I hated the one and done thing because, you know, I grew up watching a team and, you know, like you said, growing those three or four years, you know, feel like knowing those kids. But those days are gone. They kind of went away with the one and done thing happening. With the transfer portal, though, as a Mizzou fan, it seems like Coach Gates is already really on top of that, trying to get some of the top JUCO transfers into Mizzou. Do you think that's the way that he goes about rebuilding this program pretty quickly? It's interesting. I've heard some theories on this um, about the JUCO level specifically. And somebody mentioned to me, hey, while everybody else is kind of battling it out at the transfer portal, he's going into the JUCO ranks. And he's like, hey, all these kids are just kind of free roam, right? I've got my I've got my pick of the litter here. So maybe he's going to be able to find guys that otherwise would have been more highly sought after. And because there are so many high level players in the transfer portal, teams like Kentucky or Arkansas or the high level teams, they're going more after those guys and Gates is going after the Juco guys. So I could see how that would almost be like a market inefficiency, if you will. Um, I'm very curious to see what the makeup of this roster will look like in the end, because you guys mentioned they've already had quite a few guys that have left and I'm, this is not reporting speculation by me, but I think it's probably pretty obvious to everybody looking from the outside in. There will be more, and I don't know who they will be and to what degree that will take place, but there's going to be other guys that are probably on the roster now that won't be by the time the season comes around. And I'm just, I'm as fascinated as the rest of you guys are as to what this team's going to look like. They need to add shooting. They have to get a point guard that can actually dribble up and down the court. And if you can do those two things, they added a guy that, I think is a legit big man from the JUCO ranks. Now you could start seeing it look like a real college basketball team. Last year, they were missing shooting, a point guard, and a center. Kind of important pieces for a college basketball team. So if they can add those this offseason, you're going to see something that resembles something more of what we're used to, at least as a Mizzou fan. Well, you saw what Coach Martin was trying to do here. He tried to bring in the big names and you know the porters and all that. And when it comes to Coach Gates, he... He came from Cleveland State. Obviously, he coached under Leonard Hamilton at Florida State as well. But it feels like Mizzou's that kind of, like you said, that mid-level kind of team where they can't necessarily go after the big-time star names. They have to really build a team. And because of the direction that Coach Gates has come from, he's come from that that smaller market where you have to build a team and a system in order to win. And he was successful at it so early on. That's probably the the reason why it's the best fit because he can take these Juco guys that aren't the big names but will fit well into the system that he runs and build a team around it. And then, therefore, you've got that ability to have those guys that stick around for two, three, four years that you grow with as as a fan, as a team, as a college. And that's why I think this was such a great hire, despite the fact that he's really only been on the scene for two years. Well, that's that's the theory of the case, at least like if it works five years from now, that's what we'll be saying. Uh, the downside of it, of course, is maybe these Juco kids don't end up working out and you get some Tony Criswells and you get uh, there was another big guy that they had that I'm blanking on his name right now, like five years ago from Juco as well. That was supposed to Keanu Post. He was supposed to be one of the top players in the country at the Juco level, and it just never worked for him at Mizzou. And that happens like that happens at the high school level that happens from transfers. You could go after these guys that are highly sought after that. Everybody's like, oh, clearly going to be a great fit. And it just doesn't work for whatever reason. Maybe it's fit. Maybe it's he just wasn't as talented as we all thought. Maybe previously he was in a perfect situation that um, accentuated his skills and it didn't expose some of his weaknesses. Whatever the reason is, that's all possible. But if this works, we'll be saying what you just mentioned. 
If it doesn't work, we'll look back and say, ah, relied too heavily on the JUCO ranks, wasn't able to really build a cohesive team. Maybe two years from now, they're going back into the transfer portal once again. And yeah, it was a nice idea to go into the JUCO ranks, but then two years later, you had to completely rebuild the roster because you weren't going for high school players. Like, I could see it going either way, and I'm not trying to be wishy-washy about it, but with these hires, man, I just, I have at this point become so numb to the idea of knowing at the beginning if it's going to work or not. I have thought so many fits were obvious that there's no way it can't work. And then it fails. Like Shaka Smart, I thought was going to be amazing at Texas. There's no way that fails. He's a great coach. It failed. Didn't work. He ended up leaving because he knew he was going to get fired eventually. Like if, if he can fail at Texas, then absolutely you look at Dennis Gates at Mizzou and he can fail too. I like the hire. I think it's going to work, but I, I don't know, man. These things are so tough to be able to predict early on. Talking about the transfer portal real quick. One kid that we know that's linked to Mizzou tr- used the transfer portal to leave Mizzou a year ago. There's a lot of rumors that Xavier Pinson's thinking about coming back to Mizzou. Do you think that would be a, a good pickup for Mizzou if they can get him back? Or do you think he goes somewhere else? We'll see, man. Um, I, I'm i skeptical, to, to say the least. I like Xavier Pinson. I think I like Xavier Pinson more than a lot of Mizzou fans like him. It didn't end well, though. Uh, at the end, he was getting benched because he wasn't playing defense against LSU. Had to be consoled on the sideline. Like it, it didn't go well in the end. Can that change with the new coaching staff? Sure, it can. Definitely. And if they strike out on some of their other point guard targets, I think maybe they do circle back with Pinson. But I think they've got other guys that they would probably rather have on the roster and the only reason that we're really honing it on him specifically is because a he's got to have big social media presence uh and b we know the name right mizzou has been connected i think at this point with 20 different uh transfer portal guys they might land one or two of them that we've we've seen connected so far that's just kind of how this goes they're gonna spray a wide net cast a wide net and then if they get one or two of them, they'll feel pretty good about it. But do I think that Pinson, if I had to guess, will be one of them in the end? I, I would say probably not. I would lean towards no. Yeah, I, I kind of the same way as, you know, you leave one coaching staff. Maybe you like the program, but a new coaching staff comes in and they may not like you. So there's there's a lot of different pieces that go along with it. All right, let's flip over to the football side of things real quick because – you know, just like we we're seeing like the excitement with with Coach Gates and you know all these potential transfers coming in and all that kind of stuff. You know, Coach Drinkwitz was the same way. It was big splash, lots of great things going on. It's kind of died down here a little bit. And yes, I know it's it's spring. Spring football is kind of getting underway. But has has Coach Drink kind of gone underground a little bit to try and get this program back to where it was at, or, or is there something else going on there? No, I think what's happening is the basketball team just came to the forefront. Like, I think all of the basketball coaching search and then now the transfer portal and March Madness taking place at the same time, I think that led to spring football just going under the radar. I don't think there was any real reason for it necessarily. I think we kind of know what the roster is going to look like going into next year because most of the guys are back and the ones that are new are interesting transfer pieces that we don't really know a whole lot about because uh taking you behind the scenes a little bit guys that are in my position your position that are covering the team in Columbia they just don't get to watch spring football anymore Two, 10 years ago you could watch the entire practice and you would be able to at least report back small little nuggets that took place where like 
15 years ago, for example, Denario Alexander, they're like, ah, this guy's going to be good. Jeremy Macklin, they got to spring practice. They're like, oh, think they've got something in that guy. And those are the kinds of things that you can glean and then you can put into stories and you're able to uh, base your reporting upon that. You don't really have that anymore. When they go out there, they're watching individual drills for like five minutes and stretching. So how good is a guy like, for example, Luther Burden? I mean, I thought he looked pretty great at the spring game, but that's as much as anybody's been able to see him so far in a Mizzou uniform. Same thing is true for like a Nate Pete, for example, who's from Columbia, went to Stanford, is probably going to be your starting running back next year. You just haven't seen a lot of it. So it's so hard to know what that's going to look like. And the same is true for both of the quarterbacks that were in the competition this spring as well. I thought they both looked pretty solid in the spring game, but I think that's why you're seeing so little buzz around the program right now. It's just because... They- they went under the radar because of the basketball hire. I don't think it's necessarily anything that the team has or hasn't done. Talking about getting into football season, the guy that I'm super excited to see because I got to call a couple of his high school games and see him around the St. Louis area the last couple of years, Luther Burden. Do you th- I mean, watching that kid in high school, I think he could be better than Jeremy Macklin. I mean, I know that's huge that he hasn't played a uh, college snap yet. But what do you think of Bird? Do you think he's got that kind of potential to be the game changer that Macklin was when he stepped on the campus at Mizzou? I think they're a little different. Like, I, I think that's probably the closest comp of former Mizzou players that you could go with. Um, and the way they win is similar, right? Like, Luther Burden's going to be an unbelievable punt returner. And that's where the similarity kind of exists with uh, Macklin. But Burden's more physical, in my mind, than Macklin was. He he just has this competitiveness that is rare. And I saw somebody compare him to Des Bryant. And I kind of like that comparison because he's not a burner. Like, I don't think, what, for example, if he were going to the NFL combine today, you're not going to see him running like a four, three or anything like that. And he's not the biggest guy in the world. I think I was honestly a little surprised to see, I think he's like six foot or six one. He plays way bigger than that, though. And that's where the comp comes in with the Des Bryant, who, for anybody that may not remember the name, played for the Dallas Cowboys. Prior to that was at Oklahoma State, was an excellent receiver for them there. That's probably the closest comp that I've heard. But, man, he's one of one. He is a totally different guy. And you guys have seen him in high school. Like, the way that he is able to be elusive in space, I, it's the best Mizzou receiver I mean, in at least 10 years, like since Doriel Green Beckham, this is the best one they've had. And Burden is so different than Beckham in that Beckham came in and he basically just ran fast. Go fast, go down the field, jump ball, win. Awesome. This is great. Burden can actually run routes. Like in the game that they had, the spring game, he ran a deep over. That's not something you see a lot from a true freshman. He was running post corners. Like that. the stuff that he's doing is rare for a guy of his age and everybody that you speak to will tell you the same thing about how hey he's he's kind of a quiet guy like he's level-headed and that's the kind of stuff that you want to hear about a player that's coming in with his kind of hype he's a special one man he's he's got a chance to be really 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 good as long as they've got a quarterback that can get him the ball yeah that's the key right there and and I can't believe it when when you basically said Des Bryant if people remember him are we at that point now where (laughs) Des Bryant is out of the the lexicon of people's knowledge of the NFL. That makes me feel old right there. Well, his last year was what, like 2014? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been a minute since he's been in the league. So I I would imagine most people know who Des Bryant was. Yeah, he's his last year that he was 
really relevant was 2014. He had a few years after that, but it's it's been a minute, man. Uh, well, I mean, we're starting to see kids of the baseball players that we grew up watching yeah. competing in major league baseball. So that's, that's a whole other uh, venue that we had to get into in a little bit, but let's stick with the football theme. Let's flip to the pros and, and we're on the wide receiver talk as well. We have to go to the chiefs. Uh, obviously the, the, <laughs> the Tyree kill <laughs> trade happened. And uh, th- this actually came down from one of our other uh, shows that we are connected with gateway city sports. They're basically asking, are the Chiefs going to land on number one wide receiver via trade? There's been rumors, obviously, with DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett among the the guys that have been rumored. But are they are we looking at a potential that they're going to be able to make a trade to to bring in a number one? Uh, they might be able to make a trade to bring in a number one in the draft, but I would be pretty surprised if they traded for a DK or an AJ Brown or some of those other guys that have been speculated. If they're going to make a move like that, I think it happens next year. Uh, I don't think it's out of play next year at all. I think it's totally in play that next year, one of those guys that you're talking about that's on that second contract, their team decides, you know what? We're not paying you $23, $24 million per year. And the Chiefs are like, hey, instead of paying a 29-year-old Tyree Kill into his 30s, this third contract, we'll we'll pay a 25-year-old K. Metcalf or A.J. Brown for the prime of their career from age like 25 to 29. That makes a lot more sense in their perspective. They are they do not, the Chiefs do not like paying guys into their 30s. If you look at the roster right now, I think they've got like three guys, Chad Henney, uh, Travis Kelsey, and I think they've got one other guy that's over the age of 30 on the roster. They are, I think, the youngest team in the league right now. So that's just something philosophically that they believe in. But where are they getting their number one receiver? I think they're going to draft one in the first round. I think they might trade up to get one in the first round. So that that would be my prediction today. Do you see them? Because I'm just not sure about the wide receiver core. Even if they go get one of the stud kids coming out, just being a guy that catches the ball and makes tough catches in double coverage, makes those tough catches. Could you see him going out and signing one of those sure-handed veterans like a Jarvis Landry, a Julio Jones for this year, just to kind of come in and make those tough catches in coverage, you know, try to help this offense in that aspect? I think they believe Juju can be that guy. Uh, So if you've got Juju Smith-Schuster, you've got MVS, and you've got one of these first-round guys, and then, I mean, throw it, piece it together at the back end of of your receiver core, I think they believe in that. Um, If you think that's good enough or not, like, you're not going to replace Tyreek Hill. Uh, Travis Kelsey is a guy that comes down with a lot of those catches for them already. So it's going to be a receiver by committee type of situation. I mean, you look at what Andy Reid's done in his career. It's not like he's always had this stud number one wide receiver. He had it with Terrell Owens. He had it with Jeremy Macklin slash Deshaun Jackson at the end in in Philly. He had it then with Tyree Kill. But there were years where Jeremy Macklin at the back end of his career was the Chiefs number one. He had early on in his career in, in Kansas City. Dwayne Bowe at the back end of his career was his number one guy. Earlier on in his career in Philly, like Todd Pinkston, Freddie Mitchell, and it wasn't as if he was going around here with some of these stud receivers. So he's done this before, and I think they will ultimately get that guy. Like I said, next year, if you want to talk about getting that number one, maybe that's when they do it. And maybe the one of those guys that we're talking about in the draft becomes that by next year. But I think that for this year, it's going to be Travis Kelsey is the number one pass catcher. You're going to have Juju as your number two. I think MVS plus the running backs become your number three slash four. And the whoever their rookie receiver is, there's your number five guy. I think that's the way they're going to put it together. Oh, and McColl. McColl's another guy. 
And, and speaking of, of running backs, I mean, obviously, the, uh, this is another one from Gateway City Sports. You know, are, are the Chiefs any closer to moving on from CEH after the Ronald Jones signing? Is that something that could potentially happen? Or are they really just kind of giving him some security and, and the ability to kind of continue to rise up in his career? Um, I, I think they just want to have some insurance against Clyde. He hasn't been able to stay healthy thus far. And if you can't trust a guy to stay healthy, I've got to have somebody behind him that if they need to start, we feel good about it. I mean, last year, Daryl Williams and Clyde had basically the same number of touches. And this is no disrespect to Daryl Williams, but he's not a starting running back in this league. Meanwhile, Ronald Jones, he's got his issues. He is not a perfect player by any stretch of the imagination. That's why he only got like three and a half, four million dollars. He's going to come in and if he has to start a game, you feel fine about it. He's done it in the past for really good teams and he's been pretty solid. I think that's what this is about. Are they moving on from Clyde? No. Um, will they give him a second contract? No, probably not. With uh, all the moves that everybody's made in the in the AFC West and then in just in the AFC general with some of the huge moves, where do you kind of see the Chiefs in the in the hierarchy of the AFC? Because I definitely don't think they're at the top spot anymore. Yeah, I th- for me, Buffalo is clearly the number one. I-, I went through this the other day, and I feel like there's there's now tiers in the in the AFC. I think Buffalo's number one. I'm I'm gonna put a caveat in here of depending on what happens with Deshaun Watson. Cleveland would probably be in that second tier for me. And then I would also have Kansas City in that tier along with Indianapolis and the LA Chargers. And then after that, I would have Denver in the next tier with Tennessee. And then maybe New England a tier below that. Probably along with Denver and Tennessee, I would have Baltimore as well. So it's... I mean, this is the thing about the the AFC right now. You look at what the playoffs are going to look like next year. Buffalo, Cleveland, Kansas City, Indianapolis, the Chargers, Denver, Tennessee, Baltimore, New England. That's like 10 teams. And all of them, if they made the playoffs, you'd be like, yeah, that's that's a deserving team of making it into the postseason. And only seven of them are getting in. So there's going to be a few teams that are surprises that are left out of the playoffs next year. And they're going to have a whole lot of questions to answer at the end of the season. I do not believe that Kansas City will miss the playoffs. I think that the Raiders and the Broncos are both a little worse, and I trust the Chiefs, um, their infrastructure, so like their coaching staff and just the players that are currently on the roster, they'll find a way to get to 10 wins, more so than I trust Denver's. But it's going to be tough, man. This is easily the toughest path that the Chiefs have had to make it into the playoffs and certainly to win the AFC West since Patrick Mahomes took over. And then on the flip side, you got the NFC and it's Rodgers and Brady. That's about it. Now, now saying that, though, do we see a a scenario, depending on the the Watson situation, where where Baker Mayfield finds his way to the NFC and maybe gives a team a chance to to overtake the the Packers or or the Bucks in any way, shape or form? Is Baker good? Like that, that, that's the thing is, I, I mean, no, to answer your question, no, I, I don't think that would change a whole lot for me. Um, I think there's a clear cut top three in the NFC right now. And I think like at number one for me is still the Rams. And I know, I know St. Louis, I, I'm with you. I, I wouldn't want them to be up there either, but they are because they're the best team right now. And until proven otherwise, they got to be up there at the top. I think number two for me is still going to be Green Bay. And then I think Tampa Bay, they're going to, it's going to be just, it's going to be what the White Sox were in the AL Central last year, where it's like, 
why are we still doing this? Do we really need to play 162 to determine the fact that the White Sox are the best team in the AL Central? Like, come on, we, we can all see this, right? That's what it's going to be in the NFC South this year with Tampa Bay. And then I, I do think Dallas is good, but Dallas is having an offseason very similar to Kansas City where it's like, okay, are we getting better or are we just kind of hoping to stay the same as we were a year ago? And I think it's more the latter. You get rid of Amari Cooper. You get rid of Lyle Collins. You don't really add anything of substance. Randy Gregory is now playing elsewhere as well. That division is no good, so they'll make the playoffs. They'll probably win the NFC East. They've got the best quarterback, clearly, in that division by a wide margin. But the NFC, like you guys said, it's just not all that interesting. There's like four teams that are clearly the best in their divisions, and then let's see kind of what happens after that. It, it's a redo of last year, basically, in the NFC. Talking about the Packers, I mean, I know Aaron Rodgers came back, and that division's not really strong, but who the heck is he going to throw the ball to? I mean, he has no receivers left. Could this be the year where Kirk Cousins in Minnesota, with that offense, maybe they make a run at Green Bay in the north? It could be. I trust Rodgers. Like, I'm just – if you're telling me, hey, you get to pick Aaron Rodgers or Kirk Cousins, which one do you think is going to make the playoffs? Like, I'm, I'm going to take Aaron Rodgers. Um, I think they'll figure it out. I think they'll probably draft at least one, maybe two top 50 receivers this year. A guy like Chris Olave makes a lot of sense for them. Sky Moore is a guy that I really like. He makes a lot of sense for them. They've got to add some speed outside as well. So uh, local St. Louis and Jamison Williams, if he's still there by the time they pick. He makes a lot of sense. George Pickens is a massive receiver from Georgia. He could be a lot of fun there. Like there are so many quality receivers this year in this year's draft. I think they'll be okay. And five, six years ago, I would not have said the same thing. But receivers are coming into the league more prepared to be immediately successful than ever before. You look at what Jefferson did in Minnesota his rookie year. He basically replaced Stephon Diggs, and there was no drop-off, more or less, the first year that he was there. Uh, you look at what we saw last year, and none of these guys are at the same level as Jamar Chase, but Jamar Chase came in and completely changed what that Bengals offense looked like. I think somebody could come in this year, I don't know which guy it's going to be, and give you 70 or 80% of what Jamar Chase was a year ago. And if you do that with Green Bay, with a Hall of Fame-level quarterback, that guy could have 1,200 yards receiving. And we're like, okay. Yeah, he's not Devontae Adams, but he's pretty darn good, and they didn't really have a ton of drop-off as a result. All right, so now, now i got to hold you accountable to this because Ferrario told me I had to. Oh, uh, if the Packers don't draft a wide receiver, it's it's another one of the Brandon Kylie jinxes, isn't it? Oh, I feel good about this one. They're, they're <laughs> drafting a receiver. The, the, the Green Bay Packers, you can write this in stone. I'm not going out on a ledge at all here. Everybody agrees with this one. If I'm wrong, so is every other NFL reporter in the country. The Green Bay Packers will be taking a wide receiver in the top 50 this year. They never do it. They're doing it this year. Okay, okay. I mean, that's I, I was going with track record of them never doing it. But, you know, if everybody's saying it, then, then it'll probably happen. That'll make one of our former co-hosts uh, pretty happy. He, he He's a big Packers fan, and he he is adamant about the, the Packers never drafting a wide receiver. So let's hope that for Packers' sakes and, and the Packers' fans' sake that they go and do that this year. All right, let's flip over to the Cardinals real quick. 29-4 uh, to four today. Uh, <laughs> Albert Pujols' first game, and they score 29 runs. Uh uh, what coincidence? I, think forward, not. Right? I mean, come on. Yeah, 29 <laughs> runs a game. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's got to be what happens. Uh, 
but really what it comes down to is there's going to have to be one person on this team that is vitally important for this team to be successful. We know pitching it, there's going to be a pitcher that has to be, uh, has to be successful for this team to be good. But I honestly, I feel like, and I think Scott may agree with me on this one. I think the linchpin of this team is going to be Paul DeYoung at that shortstop position. I think, you know, you're going to get what you're going to get out of the pitching that you have now. And obviously if they go out and make a deal, that's going to be another piece that you add into it. Health is going to be a part of that as well, but they've got all the other pieces kind of around that infield. They didn't make a move for a shortstop in the off season. Paul DeYoung is going to be the guy that may or may not break this team this year. And, and if he's going the way he's going right now, I got a really, really good feeling about the team going forward. So it's interesting. We, we talked a little bit about this today. I don't think Paul DeYoung makes or breaks the season because I think Edmundo Sosa is perfectly adequate. I think he's a, a fine starter. I think if you if you have him out there, it's no different than what the Cardinals have had at times in the past where you've got a slap hitting shortstop that plays really solid defense. You can get by with that. I think the ceiling of the team, though, changes dramatically if you have Paul DeYoung playing at a high level. If DeYoung gets back to his first half of the season 2019 results and he's a guy that makes an all-star team or is at least close to it because there's so many quality shortstops that it's going to be hard for him to do that but he's playing at that level an all-star level of of, uh, of production finishes the year hitting like 260 gives you 25 to 30 home runs and he's playing really solid high level defense for you this team can win a world series like they're they are good enough around him that if he is doing that they can win a world series if he ends up being a guy that by the end of the year is batting 190 and he's benched because he's just not doing anything for you offensively. And now you've got Edmundo Sosa, who I think kind of maxed out his offensive production mm -hmm. last year. And he's probably a 250 hitter that gives you a he, he's more similar to Tommy Edmond in terms of what he's going to give you as a hitter, which is fine. But if you've got two guys in, the, in your lineup that are hitting that way it starts to lower your ceiling, especially when Yachty's going to be playing on most days. Now you've got the bottom third of your order that aren't automatic outs, but they're not high-level producers. They're below-average major league hitters. Now you've got more questions coming from that spot. So I think the ceiling is based upon Paul DeYoung's performance this year. I think the floor, though, I feel really good about. And I, I know I disagree with some Cardinals fans on this. I'm high on this team. I think they're going to be really good this year. I think the floor for this team is like 84 or 85 wins. I wouldn't necessarily feel that way if they were in a different division. But when you're playing 55 games this year against the Reds and the Cubs and who am I, the Pirates, like, come on, man. If you don't go 40 and 15 in those 55 games, something like that, something horrible has happened this year. Those teams are tr actively trying to lose. The Pirates just sent down one of their maybe three most talented players on their roster yesterday. And their general manager came out afterwards after he made the move and was like, yeah, uh, this is going to help us in the future. It's like, you know what? I respect it. At least you're honest. At yeah. least you are saying the truth as to why this move was made. This had nothing to do with whether or not he was ready. Because he's ready. He's one of their best players. This was about four years from now, we're going to have an extra year of club control when maybe we're a little better as a team. So this matters more for us in 2026 than it does right now. That's what they're playing for. You look at their rotation. Guys, I genuinely don't know who their opening day starter is. Like, it might be Jose Quintana. I don't know. We were playing this game the other day where it's like, hey, will Albert Pujols be in the opening day lineup? I think the answer is yes, regardless of who their starter yeah. is, because you got to do it for the pageantry, of course. But 
I don't know who it's going to be, so it's hard for me to say, like, what will that matchup look like? That's how bad this Pirates team is. Totally agree. You know, we were just talking about Paul DeYoung and his ceiling. The other guy that I'm really excited about, and I've been higher on him than a lot of Cardinal fans the last couple of years, and really impressed with the way he's looked this spring. And I think you're going to agree with me, BK. I think Harrison Bader going to have a monster year and is a huge part of what this is what I'm talking about. Welcome to the club, boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think Bader is a huge key to this team this year. I love him, man. I maybe it's just because, like, my favorite player growing up in Kansas City was Lorenzo Kane. I, I loved Lorenzo Kane, and I see they're, they're not identical players. Lorenzo Kane hit for a much higher average, and he, he was just honestly just a better all around player in his prime than what Harrison Bader is. But Bader's a better defender. I. I appreciated Kane's play because of his defense, though. Like, that, that is what stood out to me. And Bader is just so darn good defensively. I mean, he's he's honestly maybe the best defensive player in baseball right now. And so sometimes I hear all of this about what he isn't. And it's like, yeah, I, I understand. The guy has limitations. He is not a perfect player. And when he goes up there and strikes out with runners on, it's infuriating sometimes. Like, I feel that way, too. But stop telling me about what he isn't and start looking at what he is. And if we talk about what he is, he is an above average hitter over the last two years now. And he is an elite defensive player at the premium defensive position other than catcher. So if you're telling me I can just have that guy on a cost-controlled contract for the next, what is it, three years, I guess now? Yeah, I want to build around that guy. I love having that player on my team. Now, if he's making $20 million a year, okay, that's a different conversation and we can adjust our expectations accordingly. But he's not. He's making like five this year and he's probably going to, on a long-term deal, if they extend him, make closer to 10. You can win with this guy playing in center field. The Rays have been to the World Series multiple times with Kevin Kiermeyer as their center fielder. I like Harrison Bader better than Kevin Kiermeyer. So I'm totally with you guys. I love Harrison Bader. I think he's an excellent baseball player who clearly has limitations, but I think we talk too much about those limitations sometimes. You know who doesn't strike out a lot of batters, guys? Adam Wainwright. Do we talk about that a whole lot, or do we talk about how he's awesome in other ways? It's the latter, because we talk about what he's doing well as opposed to what the things are that he doesn't do well. Well, and the Cardinals' record is far better when Harrison Bader's in the lineup than when he's not. So speed kills what he does defensively as well. And speaking of defensively, you know, the Cardinals set the record last year for most gold gloves by a team in a season. And we were talking about this, I believe, last week about how it probably won't happen. But you legitimately could have a team that has eight gold gloves on it this year. I mean, you've got O'Neill with a gold glove already, two of them already. Bader can win one. I think Carlson has the ability to win one. Goldschmidt, yep. Arenado have it. DeYoung can do it. Edmund has one. Molina has at least one. I mean, you have a legitimate gold glove caliber team. What, what would you give the percentage of the, the possibility of, of a team winning in all eight positions minus the pitcher? Yeah, and I mean, they, they've got some pretty good defensive pitchers as well. Steven Matz in particular is super athletic, so uh, that would be interesting there as well. I... I mean, 5%. And it, it has nothing to do with their abilities because could all of those guys in a vacuum win one? Oh, yes. Absolutely. We, we've seen it. We've literally seen it for most of them. But I just don't think that you're going to see voters be like, hey, 
I'm going to give all of my votes to Cardinals. Uh, that seems unlikely. I mean, they would have to be the greatest defensive team in the history of baseball. And which, by the way, they might be like, it's possible that that's that that happens this year. And the way that they pitch, like we will find out if they are the greatest team in the history of baseball when it comes to their defense. But I mean, 5% is probably what I would put it at. I think that Paul DeYoung is probably their worst defender. And he's a a, a very good defensive shortstop. I, I personally think Edmundo Sosa is better. I know that the metrics would disagree with me on that, but I think he's their weakest defender and he's good. So you're in a pretty good spot defensively when that's the case. So we've we've got to jump back to the elephant in the room, and that's the starting pitching staff and who's going to be your ace. We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. I know you guys have been on your show too talking about it. What do you think the chances are? Because we're going to have a little better idea of where Jack Flaherty is here in the next week or so. You know, that two-week timetable to rest is going to be up. If he comes back and they say, okay, you've got to take another couple of weeks before you pick up the ball, do you think there's a chance at that point that Mo picks up the phone and calls Oakland and says, okay, what does it take to get a Sean Mania? Would I make that move or will Mo make that move are very different questions. I would have already called them and said, based on the way this roster is constructed, one of you can have one of Newt Bar or Yepes, and you can have Johan Oviedo, and let's make the move today. And I think the Oakland A's, I could be wrong on this, of course, but I, I would have to imagine for one year of club control on Sean Manaya on a team that's not contending for anything this year, and they've already decided they're going to have a fire sale, I would think that would be enough. Those are two, if not major league ready, pretty close to major league ready players in Oviedo and one of those two position players. The projections are pretty high on both of those position players, Yepes. Uh, based on some of the projections, at least, is expected to be better this year than Albert Pujols. Uh, Newt Barr is one of, uh, I saw a, a piece earlier today from Baseball America, I think it was, that he's got the best uh, on-base percentage upside in the system right now. Like he's He's got the best eye in the system. So if you're looking for guys that would fit the A's, both of them would make a lot of sense. And Johan Oviedo, I think it's just an odd man out in this rotation right now. It's it's hard for me to project, okay, here's his spot, not just this year, but one, two, three years down the road. So I think it makes sense for both teams, honestly, when you look at it that way. I don't think John Moselock views it that way. I don't know why. Um, I If you're going out there and adding Corey Dickerson and Albert Pujols, it signifies to me that you're not as high on these guys as we thought they were or that they're saying they are their actions are more important to me always than their words are I think they still like them obviously otherwise you make this deal but I I think my, my concern for this year and the reason why I'm still still skeptical of going all in on the Cardinals because I do think like I said I, I think they're going to be very good my concern is if you have one more injury and Jack Flaherty doesn't get healthy as quickly as we all hope that he does are they going to make that move? Are they going to go out there and get the guy quicker this year? Are they going to show urgency in a way that they didn't in June of last year? If they're not, then it's going to look a lot like June of last year because they don't have that fail safe ready to go. I think they've got some solid options. I don't think they have anybody that I feel really excellent about with that fifth spot in the rotation if things go awry. So I don't know, man. It's going to be really interesting. They're, they're betting on their internal options once again. They always seem to do this. They did. I was surprised that they didn't decide to do it on their pit, on their hitting side. They decided, okay, 
we're going to fortify things here. If things go wrong, we've still got other options internally by going out and adding somebody from the outside. They didn't really do that on the pitching side of things. So we're going to find out if they were right or not. I would go out there and get Sean Manaya. Uh, and Scott said it last night too, you know, the longer you wait and especially if the Flaherty injury is worse than we think it may be, all of a sudden that, that asking price from Oakland goes up as well. So it's how long can you wait without, while keeping the asking price low as well. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be interesting for sure. And I mean, we, we've, we've taken about an hour of your time, so we want to make sure you, you get some rest because you got a big show tomorrow as well. So we got, I got one more thing before you go and this, this may or may not put you against St. Louis fans here really quick. Oh, you, come on. <laughs> well, you guys you guys do one's got to go. And and this is this actually came from my brother. He he threw out four uh options for you here and basically one's got to go. The 2015 Royals World Series, the 85 oh. Royals World Series, the 2020 Chiefs Super Bowl or the 2019 Blue Stanley Cup. <laughs> All right. I'm going to play to my audience here. The clear one that's got to go is the 1985 World Series for the Royals. Now, they got the call wrong at first. Don J Dinkinger got it wrong. But there was another game, ladies and gentlemen, there was. and the Cardinals didn't get it done. That's on them. I don't take any blame for that. <laughs> now, that being said, the 85 World Series is definitely the one that's got to go. Uh, I would I will not trade the 15 World Series for the world. That was for me what 2011 was for Cardinals fans. It was an unbelievable run. Um, 2014, the funny thing, man, 2014 as a Royals fan was way more enjoyable than 2015. 2015, the team was really good from start to finish. 2014, that was kind of not to the same degree, but more similar to the Blues Cup run. 100 games into the year, they were 44 and 46. They get to the trade deadline and... They had nothing of note. Um, and you're like, okay, are, are we just going to stand pat? Like, this is the first time that the Royals have had any chance of being good in my entire lifetime at that point in time. And they just decided, I think it was like Josh Willingham was their big trade deadline addition that year. Um, so basically nothing. They get into the playoffs and they just mash against everybody. They get the Angels. Boom, it's over. They have an unbelievable wild card game against the A's, one of the greatest games I've ever seen. Um, and then you get into the ALCS. Like It was like, okay, I, I think this is going to really work. You get to game seven of the World Series, and then Madison Bumgarner put together one of the greatest performances I've ever seen in any sport in any year ever. So that broke my heart. But 2015 Royals, I'm definitely keeping. The Chiefs Super Bowl, I never thought I would see at any point in time. And like the Blues run to the cup was the best of all of those. Like they, I've never seen anything like it. For them, I left St. Louis in December of, I guess it would have been 2018 at that point. Um, and at that point in time, the Blues were not quite the worst team in the league. They ended up getting there. But at that point, they were 25th in the league in points. And I remember going to a game, Blues versus Capitals, I believe it was. And I remember watching Oscar Sundquist in particular. I'll never forget it. And I was like, this guy looks like a bag of milk out there. Like, he, he looks like one of the worst hockey players I have ever seen in my life. He's terrible. And that guy ended up being one of the most important players in hockey for a month. And for, for that to happen, like, there's just, there's nothing like it, man. Jordan Bennington, the whole story, you get the new coach, like, everything changes. But uh, that, that was the most impressive thing I think I've ever seen in my life in any sporting event, any sporting year.
Well, I'd, so the I'd answer is he, the 85, 85 Royals. I'd say he crushed it when it comes to the fans, for sure. <laughs> and, and, Scott, we got a chance to, to tour the Royals Hall of Fame uh, last summer, and we got a chance to talk about that 14 and 15 run as well. Yeah, we did. We we took the show we took the show on the road last year. We went and did a whole two what we did what, two and a half hour show from the Royals Hall of Fame Museum, and uh, went over Royals history. So yeah, we definitely had a big talk about that. And we got I got into an argument with people in the Royals Hall of Fame about that eighty five World Series and Don Dinkinger call. But uh, yeah, that was a, that was a great time in Kansas City. We love our Kansas City fans as well for sure. If you guys have never been, be sure to check out the Negro Leagues Museum as well. We did a um, show from there. Fantastic. It's, yep. It is. Everybody listening right now, if you ever have an opportunity, go to Kansas City, check out a Royals game, do all the tailgate and grab yourself a bunch of barbecue over there. I know Kansas City and St. Louis hate each other. I get that. But uh, t- take a trip. Enjoy Kauffman Stadium. It'll be you and your 500 closest friends. It's a great time. And then grab some Gates barbecue afterwards. Or you can go to Oklahoma Joe's, which is the better of the two. Um, and then go over to the Negro Leagues Museum. It is well worth spending an afternoon there. It is an incredible place. Yeah, we we, we did the show last year. Mike Claiborne joined us and Dr. Doss oh, nice. from, from the museum. And yeah, we had a really nice sit-down couple hours at the museum last year. That's awesome. It, it's a great spot, man. One of, one of my favorite places. It certainly is. It, it was a beautiful place. And uh, definitely get out there and check it out. Well, uh uh, BK, huge thanks for joining us. I mean, like I said, you've been with us for about an hour now. I know you get to do a, a long show on the radio, but to sit with us for an hour has been incredible. But we know where to find you, but kind of give us some plugs about where we can find you on the radio, on social media, anything else you got going on. Yeah, so um, I do a lot, as you guys know. Uh, I'm on from 11 to 2 on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. You can listen to that locally on your dial. You can check it out. We've got a 101 ESPN app where people can get that on their phone. It is very free. It is easy to use. Uh, So you can check it out there. I also have a podcast talking Mizzou football on Rock M Nation. If you just plug in Rock M Nation podcast, you'll find that wherever you listen to podcasts. I do a podcast talking about the Chiefs on Arrowhead Pride. You plug in Arrowhead Prides, look for me. You'll find it on there as well. Uh, and I write for our head pride and write for rockmnation.com as well. So you can find my work over there. Or if you want to, I'm pretty active on Twitter. You can just check me out on Twitter at BK Sports Talk. I'll tweet out all the links and whatnot over there as well. That's awesome. Well, once again, thank you for joining us. Congrats again uh, on the marriage as well. That's, uh, that's thank you. <laughs> big. That's big. We didn't want to pass that up uh, as well. So uh, Brandon Kylie from 101 ESPN, thank you so much for, for taking the time out. And uh, we'll definitely be talking in the future. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, all the best to you. This is awesome what you guys are doing here. And uh, it was a it was a blast to be on with you guys. Thanks so much. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Thanks. Brandon Kylie from 101 ESPN. Dude, it was an hour and it felt like we could have gone for another two. Yep, it flew, man. Definitely. Definitely. That was another another great interview. Hey, you know what? It- <laughs> It's what we do. It's what we do. Uh, we yep. got to a lot of we got to a lot of stuff tonight. Uh, we got the Blues getting ready to get underway in about an hour here. Uh, Alex Ferrario, BK's partner, is doing the pregame over on 101 ESPN right now. So uh, definitely get over there and listen to that. And if you got the ability, stay up late and watch the Blues and Canucks tonight. Should be a, another good game. Billy Huso back in the net. Third straight game, struggled against Carolina, had a really good game against Vancouver on Monday, the 4-1 to victory there. Tarasenko got the 500th point of his career as well. And this, this is a tough time for the Blues. They need to collect as many points as they can. It's a tough Western Canadian road trip. Yeah, it is. It is. Like you said, they've just got to collect as many points as they can and just keep rolling. We're getting closer and closer to the playoffs. Yep, yep, yep. All right, real quickly, who do you got in Duke, North Carolina? Come on. 
Oh, are you really asking me? Do you really <laughs> ask me that question? Carolina all the way. Oh man, yes. Uh, same here. Tar Heels. It, it's got to be. It's got to be UNC and Villanova in the final. We yeah. got to make that happen. Uh, that game. Those games are on Sunday. Championship game on Monday as well. Uh, Saturday. 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 Saturday, and then championship game on Monday. Uh, dude, my my next couple days are completely booked. Like I've got tomorrow. I've got work. I'm going out to GCS ballpark to kind of get the lay of the land for uh, a baseball tournament this weekend. Then I got a volleyball game I'm calling tomorrow night. Friday, I'm calling baseball all day. Saturday, I'm splitting time between GCS Park and the baseball and then going back to Lindenwood to call another volleyball match to go back to GCS to call the championship game. I don't even know what day it is anymore, and I know you're in the same boat. Yep, bouncing around, man. It's that time of the year. Sports, sports, sports. That it is. That is. You got anything else uh, you want to get out there before we head out tonight? Uh, I think that I think we hit everything tonight, man. Honestly, um, nothing that I can really think of off the top of my head. All right, all right. Well, uh, well, thank you guys for joining us. Thank you, uh, BK again from 101 ESPN, BK and Ferrario for taking the time out to, to talk with us about Mizzou, Cardinals, Royals, Chiefs, everything under the sun. It seemed like, uh, make sure you catch him on BK and Ferrario every day beginning at 11 a.m. on 101 ESPN. Uh, like I said, we're busy the next couple days, so we'll probably be back with you guys on Monday night. We'll be with you during the national championship game. Hopefully, we'll be talking about UNC Villanova. We'll see. Uh, otherwise, follow us on social media. And uh, thank you guys again for joining us. It's been a blast, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Hey, it's you, man, here from Casey. For all your sports news, catch the Toasted Tavern with Scott Tobin and the man called Wags weeknights at 9 p.m. You can follow Toasted Tavern on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Let's get toasted.